So recently I've had these experiences with gaming in which I realized that there was a a sense that there's almost like states of, of mind that we get into when we play games. And I thought it would be very interesting to categorize those states of play. And today that's just what Brian Josue and I are going to do. We're going to talk just a little bit about one particular state, well, maybe two particular states of play that we can get into. And, uh, you know, this can be helpful for us to understand our gaming process. You know, we're, we're always talking about gaming being a self-reflection tool. Well, if anything, this discussion between Brian, myself, and Josue opens some doors for self-reflection for us, and maybe it will open some doors for self-reflection for you. So the state of mind that we're talking about in this particular situation is analysis paralysis, and kind of the antithesis of that on the other side of things, which is anticipation of play or anticipation of turn, whatever you want to call it. And so we're, we're kind of almost making our cartography of our experiences in games, and we'll be doing that for a few episodes or, or you know, along the way, not necessarily just straight on, like we're not starting a new series on just states of play. But it seemed like a good idea. To, it's, you know, we're always sort of talking about the phenomenology of our experience in gaming, and while maybe most people will look at games as I mean, you might look at our discussion and say, why are these people always so unhappy about playing games? But that's not really what it is. I mean, I'm listening to it, and I'm hearing that. Uh, that's not really what it is. There, is. there is a chance for better understanding ourselves in terms of the relationship we have with the things that we do with our spare time. Always my, my kind of metaphor, my mission statement here is that there, there's something deeper that goes on than the surface activities that we engage in. And maybe there's some reason for that surface activity to be, you know, we, we kind of hide behind our, our experiences, you know, whether I'm watching Stargate or I'm out playing Pokemon Go or I'm working on a strategy in a game that I play. There's always some kind of underlying, you know, there, there's a self that hides beneath everything. And if anything, I can say that our experience with games points to that self and it helps us to say, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. And as a result of not being this and not being that, I can get those things out of the way and I can go back and look, okay, so what's underneath the this and that that's that's keeping me in play here? So that may be really confusing for you. For me, it's really enlightening. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this conversation between uh, Brian and Hisway and I um, just kind of takes apart that experience and looks at it from some several viewpoints, you know, like what is the experience like and what can we do about the experience? Is it a bad experience? Is it a good experience? And those sorts of things. So uh, one thing you'll notice during our discussion is that there's some kind of um, echo going on in the background. We're trying a new recording style, and so uh, if that's annoying, I do apologize. I tried to get rid of as much as much of it as I could. Certainly want you to have a good experience of listening to us gab about things. And so... Um, Bear with it. Uh, I, I tried, like I said, I tried to cut out as much as possible. So why don't I just let you have at it? Go ahead and listen, and uh, if you feel like it, let us know once you get to the other side what it was like to listen to this episode, whether or not this was something that was meaningful to you or not. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>
Welcome to Rolling for Change. This is episode number 20 in which we're going to talk about states of play. Today I have my fellow co-hosts, Josue Cardona. Hello. And Brian Peace. How you doing? Hey guys. It has been uh it's been a minute. Let's put it that way. It's been a minute since we've recorded. Nobody needs to know how long it's been. It's okay. <laughs> that, that's true. Let's but, just say uh, I've lost about 40 pounds since we last recorded. Whoa. And I've raised an 11-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not from zero, but you know, hey. Well, hey, like what they don't know. <laughs> I'm a mad scientist. I've got my own scientific, you know, ways. I'm, I'm mysterious like that. Oh, well. Um, anyway... <laughs> Um, it, it has been a while since we've, we've actually all been together and recorded. It's been since PAX Unplugged, even though I've put out quite a few episodes in the last few weeks, and I hope to have a lot more episodes coming out. But uh, we've had some time to, I guess, think about our lives and do lots of things, so let's just do a quick check-in and see where everybody's at and what's been going on. What say you, Brian? Well, um... I have gotten a little bit of gameplay in lately. Actually, more than I've gotten in a few months. Um, I think the standout ga- games for me... Oh, outside of gaming, though, I have uh, moved back to high school from middle school. That's a positive move. Um, so I'm teaching 10th grade again, which is really, I think, my place. Because uh, I think those 7th graders are trying to kill me. I can relate. So you, I, I agree. <laughs> you agree the seventh graders are trying to kill me? Uh, yes, and also that uh, high school is better than middle school for teaching. Yeah. And, for, I mean, probably for being a student, too. I mean, none so, of it is good. Um, <laughs> we played, uh, recently we played um, Freedom the Underground Railroad once. We lost miserably right at the very end. Um one of the games we got for free from uh, from Dice Tower Con recently was Civilization, C V I L I Z A T I O N S, a spinoff of the the CV game, um, in which you are kind of more or less building a civilization. It's a very light game, but it's really cool. Uh, I did manage to get Clank, which Woody introduced me to, and I'm very happy to have Clank, which is a deck builder where you are trying to build the best deck you can to move through a dungeon to get all the treasures you can and escape the dungeon before the dragon finds you and eats you. And, oh, and the biggest news, we finally finished Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Oh, Ooh. yes, we did. And we That were, was huge. We were re- resolutely successful. Oh, yes, boy. we were in the second highest uh, level, right? Yeah. We, we, we did pretty well with this thing, even though I was feeling like there were so many times that we failed that I was feeling like it was going to be rough. I want to hear an episode on that. Yeah, we typically didn't fail <laughs> both se- sections of the month, though. So you, you'd go through one month, and if you lost, you'd go through the month a second time. We typically managed to succeed on the second time through a month. That's true. That's true. And a few times we succeeded on the first time of the month. Yeah. So for the listeners, Pandemic Legacy is a... It's a uh, you kind of play it from a start to a finish where there's kind of a change in narrative throughout the story, and every time you play, you change the board, you change what happens to you, and we have been 
working very hard to eradicate viruses and keep certain areas of the world safe uh, from really bad viruses that really screwed things up. And it, it's it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been, you know, there's there's some on the edge of your seat moments where it's like you know that the next pandemic's coming and things are going to fall apart and you're trying your best to maintain and. Um, it, it's been a fantastic journey. I, I really appreciate Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and looking forward to Pandemic Legacy Season 2. But first, we have to finish Charterstone. Yes, yes. Another legacy game from uh, Stonemire Games. Charterstone is uh, probably the only legacy game I know of where uh, you can still play it after you finish the legacy game, whereas, you know, with Pandemic Legacy Season 1, we're basically done. We can't do anything with the board or the, or the pieces anymore except for maybe hang it up somewhere and say, hey, we did this. Well, Charterstone is more of a worker placement game. It doesn't have as much of a story to it. That's true. There's there's really not a story to You're it. You're basically building a unique board for yourself to continue to play on after you finish building the board. Yep, and trying to build the better area before your fellow workers do. And, and uh, I still haven't quite got a handle on how you develop a, a strategy in that game, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, what you been up to, Hostway? So I just came back from San Diego Comic Con, and Woo! my my batteries are recharged. I am <laughs> I, I needed that, feeling really good. Um, and when I went, I went to stay with some friends, and we had a game night. So I played for the first time. I played a betrayal game. I'd never played any of those. So we played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and that was a little overwhelming, but it was fun. And then the behind me, they were playing a Bob Ross game. I've never played that. Uh, that looked like a lot of fun. And then they put Bob Ross on TV. I think. I don't know if it's like part of the game. Uh, that was that was, was it the Art of Chill. Yes, I yes. believe it. Yeah, I want yeah. that game so bad. Yeah, they were having a lot of fun. Like our our betrayal game uh, took a long time, so they finished that game before I I got to it. And then uh, afterwards, we just played Jackbox for the rest of the night. And that was a lot okay. of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. And um, while I was at Comic-Con, I, I was trying to convince my friend to buy more decks for Super Fight because they have a few new decks. Like, I've played Super Fight in the past, but now they added some really cool ones where they basically added, like, uh, kind of like a campaign mode where, like, you have obstacles that you have to defeat um, with two people. So instead of um, fighting against each other, you're fighting... Um, against a, a third kind of uh, dungeon master sort of, right, where these scenarios pop up and then you have to overcome these obstacles, uh, which is pretty cool. And they, they added all of these additional scenarios. So it's like it's super fight with qualifiers and a setting and like a, a larger theme. So like it, it can get really elaborate. So instead of just like two cards, now you have all these settings and, and one of them pretty much makes it uh, like a role-playing game. And, and I thought that that was so cool. Uh, that I, I went to, you know, they, they were doing a demo for me, and I was really excited about that. Um, and other than that, I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Go, like crazy, ridiculous amounts of Pokemon Go. And uh, I just got my niece into it. She's seven years old. And every day we've gone out. Like today we went to the mall, and we we battled a gym. Um, we, we battled the gym yesterday. Like, there was one at the library. Like, we've just been, like, for hours, we just played Pokemon Go. And the weirdest thing was, it's been two years. 
Exactly. It's been like two years and one month since that game came out. And we were playing at the mall and people kept coming up to us saying, hey, I'm playing too. Hey, is there a raid nearby? Hey, what team are you on? It was, it's amazing that two years in, that still happens. Yeah, <laughs> It's so cool. <laughs> it, it's pretty surprising that, it, it, you know, two years ago when it came out, I guess it's two years ago now, um, it, it pretty much took the world by storm. Everybody's playing it and... Uh, I still see people playing it quite a lot. It, it's been, and, and uh, my, my son has uh, got his own phone now, and he's probably about to start playing Pokemon Go because he's crazy about Pokemon. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. That's what I've been up to. Excellent. Well, getting back to Bob Ross, there are actually two <laughs> Bob Ross games out now. Mm. One is coming out at Gen Con, which is happening right now. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. <laughs> we're here. We're having a good time. We don't need Absolutely, Gen Con. no. I'm excited that, you know, we have people to go out to Gen Con and uh, basically bring back the goodies. <laughs> I'm saying this about a good friend of mine who's up there, and he's actually been texting me and saying, I got this, I got this, I got this. So <laughs> when he gets back, I'll have a, a few extra games to play. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the Bob Ross game is coming out at Gen Con, and then uh, the Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. So I played Betrayal at House on the Hill. Baldur's Gate I haven't seen yet, but so you were feeling overwhelmed by it? I'd never played a Betrayal game, uh, okay. so this was the first time uh, I'd, I'd played a game like this, really. Um, you know, I don't, you, you know me, I'm the, I'm the, I play less uh, tabletop than than you guys do. It's, it's, uh, a lot of time goes between <laughs> when I play a tabletop game. So, but yeah, there were, there were a lot of rules, a lot of rules, lots of stuff happening. Lots of them, like, because you're building out the board essentially as you're going, and then really once the the curse happened, and a traitor was chosen, and that person had to go off. Like that's when I was like, wait a minute, like we're playing now. There's two separate sets of rules, and we're all learning them at the same time, and there was a lot going on. And we, as far as I can tell, we all made mistakes. Like we were playing the game completely wrong. As we kept going, we we're like, oh, we were doing that backwards, or oh no, we all omitted this thing. <laughs> So the outcome was not, um, was not uh, what it was supposed to be, <laughs> because it was um, pretty uh, all over the place. We did not follow the rules. I think everybody misunderstood some of the rules at some point. I kind of just followed along, and since everybody else was wrong, I was wrong too. <laughs> I think I've played it twice, and I've also played Mansions of Madness several times, and. All of those times for both of those games, and I think they're both very similar games where you're trying to build out the board and you, you have things going on that are going to change the story dramatically as the story goes on. Um, I think all those times have been, there have been rule devi deviations and, and problems with the rules and, and trying to go back and look at the rules. So they're a little bit clanky that way, but uh, um, those are some of my favorite narrative style games. Yeah, it was a typical, you know, we're all learning it as we, as right. we go. And so many, many mistakes were had. Yeah, it was like, so I'm building out this place. I'm like, okay, all right, I get it. And then when the trader came in, it was like all of a sudden our goal was to help these civilians escape through a very particular door. Um, and uh, those civilians weren't there before. <laughs> and then there were werewolves, I think, or bugs. No, I don't remember. There was something. There was something going on. It was, we still won. Uh, but again, but did you? But we did not follow the rules. <laughs> yes, a very big go. asterisk. 
And so if you're listening and you don't know what these games are, these are all um, semi-cooperative games in which you may start out playing together, but something may happen along the way that causes something to go awry and you may start playing against one another. Uh, just depends on the curse in the case of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, I mean betray Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, and then Betrayal at House on the Hill is, is uh, The Haunt. And then within the Mansions of Madness, it's all about Cthulhu taking over people and forcing them to do really terrible things. One of my favorite stories, and I, I don't think I've, I've said it before on Rolling for Change, is we were playing this very elaborate Mansions of Madness game, and I was working very hard to get across the house to give my gun to another player who needed the gun because he was going to have to face off the big bad monster. Well, as soon as I gave him the gun, the big bad monster rolled well, and uh, this person smiled at me, turned the gun towards me, and fired at me. <laughs> it was just a betrayal moment. It was wonderful. It was so dramatic and perfect for the, for the game. Um, anyway, so what have I been doing? I, I, I came back from Dice Tower, and I was really jazzed because we got to talk to Jeff Garst at Dice Tower. We got to see a lot of great games, play a lot of great games. And uh, Dice Tower, I said it on the other podcast, it's, it's got to be one of my favorite conventions because it's just small enough to be friendly and big enough to feel like it's something. There's an event going on. Um, so I, I got really excited there. And actually, part of the genesis of this episode is the experiences that I had there and, and then the following few weeks of gaming in which um, I just started to realize that there are these states of mind that we get into when we get involved in a tabletop board game, and, and probably also in a, a role-playing game, but role-playing game seems a little more organic than a tabletop game. Um, and so I, I came up with this idea that I wanted to map the states of play in gaming, because maybe there are, like if you could say there's a cartography or a, a, uh, an outline of the different states of mind that we go through as board game players or as, as tabletop game players, then that would be an interesting sort of direction to go with our, our discussion because we're talking all about the psychology of games and how games impact us. So the two I wanted to talk about today are analysis paralysis and what I am going to call, because I haven't found anybody else who talks about it, what I am going to call um, anticipation of turn or anticipation of play. Um, so just starting out, uh, talking about analysis paralysis, you guys have heard this term, right? Oh, yeah. I've lived that term. You've <laughs> lived that term. How have you lived that? What, what's, uh, what's your example? Uh, in a game or in my life? Oh, either way, either <laughs> way. Because, it, it, you know, it's something that happens in games, but it, it's, there's a real-world thing going on here. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example uh, of someone else, something someone told me recently was uh, in the new Legend of Zelda uh, game, which is open world. They told me yeah. that th they didn't enjoy it. And I've heard this from a few people. They didn't enjoy it because once you get out into the open world, you can pretty much go anywhere. And there's, there's just too many. There are just too many options. And they felt completely overwhelmed and didn't enjoy it because they wanted something more, more streamlined. And... You know, like a, a more personal example, I think in that game of Betrayal, even just starting uh, when you're building the board, it was like, hey, well, you know, do you want to, I think it was build like uh, outside or inside. I think it was like inside the building or on the street. And mm -hmm. and I didn't I didn't really, this is the first time I played the game. I had no idea what to do. Every 
every turn. I had no idea what it, what effect it would have um, down the road. I don't think it really made a difference uh, very much at the beginning. But uh, yeah, like that that that's probably the most recent example in a in a board game. So it's kind of an experience of just you're you're getting more and more choices being presented to you, and you have no idea what the best next step is or what the next step should be. Yeah, sometimes just two choices, right? Like I didn't have a strategy in mind. I didn't have, I had no idea. I didn't have a plan. So it was just two, they seemed like two arbitrary choices. And it wasn't until I got into the rhythm of it and kind of had an idea, which was probably wrong, but uh, I had an idea of, of what I wanted to do. I, um, I, I felt way more uh, or way less paralyzed <laughs> by the, the choices in front of me. I only really suffer from analysis paralysis in real life, um, never in games, which is probably why I lose so often. Um, I don't really think through my actions. I look and I try to make my turns as quick as possible so other people can take their turns. And I don't really analyze the board a whole lot or my cards that I'm holding, what have you. Um, I pretty much have already figured out what I want to do before my turn comes around. The only time I'm frozen is whenever someone takes what I want to do and now I have to rejigger what I want to do. So it's not really a huge problem for me. The biggest problem I have is when other people suffer from analysis paralysis. Or technically and that's when, where we get to anticipation of turn, I believe. Or technically when I'm suffering from their analysis paralysis. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like the opposite side of analysis paralysis where you're like, can you just hurry up and take your move? I, I am ready for my move right now. It's funny, we used to play uh, a lot of dominoes um, when, I, when I was a kid. And I remember my grandfather getting so angry at me because I took a long time to, to make a move. And when you start the game, it's pretty much like it's pretty easy if you're the first person out. But then at the beginning of the game, it's really hard to figure out what's going on because you have so little information. And as the game progresses, it gets easier because basically you're counting all of the pieces and you're kind of assuming what everybody has, you know, just like there's lots of card games, poker, things like that, where you start yeah, make, where doing that math. Yeah, out the deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I remember my grandfather getting so mad at me because when I was a kid, I couldn't keep track of all the information on the table. And I took a long, long, long time. I think my first experience with this was through chess because chess is certainly a game that kind of, promotes analysis paralysis because unless you're the kind of person who can see pattern and really catch the things that are going on you know people who play chess they're always saying well think three four five moves in advance but if i am got three four five moves in advance in my mind i am at a state of complete uncertainty of whether or not i can even see that far down the line so that that's my first experience of analysis paralysis but as a gamer i've, I've seen it quite a lot i've seen it in myself and i've seen it in other people um, so I, I wanted to get a definition and I wanted a more, uh, a more academic definition than I got, but, uh, I ended up getting my definition from Wikipedia. Um, you know, so it's just easy enough for anybody to look it up, but since we're talking about it, um, it's the state of overanalyzing or overthinking a situation so that a decision or action is never taken in effect, paralyzing the outcome. A decision can be treated as overcomplicated with too many detailed options so that a choice is never made. Rather than try something and change it, a major problem arises. A person might be seeking the optimal or perfect solution up front and fear making any decision which could lead to erroneous results while on the way to a better solution. So that, that's kind of what happens. You, you get so many choices in front of you that you just don't know 
what the next best step is going to be. And uh, that seems like one of those states of mind, like if you're in it, if I'm playing a game and I'm in that state of mind, I'm aware of a, a few different things. First off, I'm aware that I'm trying to figure out strategy. I'm trying to figure out out of all these possibilities that are sitting in front of me, what am I going to do next? And I'm also aware of the social aspect of all the like, almost like pressure that you either imagine or is real coming down from you from the rest of the table. Um, you know, you get somebody who might have picked up their phone and they say they're looking at their phone now and somebody else who's just kind of breathing a little heavier to let you know that they're waiting for you, but they're not going to tell you directly because they're going to use this kind of passive aggressive moment to let you know, <sighs> like, can you just hurry up is kind of the message that they're giving you. Being in that state of mind is tremendously frustrating because you want to make the right decision. And at the same time, you have to get to a point where you're like, okay, screw it. I, I don't care about strategy anymore. I don't want to hold up these people anymore. And it might diminish your ability to play the game if you're stuck in this analysis moment where you're not able to move. You know, do you see it as, I mean, I see it more as anxiety than frustration because I feel like you start thinking of all these other possibilities and some of the examples you gave, right? It's like we're just kind of a fear of sometimes it's judgment, sometimes it's failure, sometimes it's just not ha having the optimal play, you know? Um, I'm assuming that the reason that uh, Brian doesn't deal with this is because and I've heard you say so many times on the show that it's like, oh, I'm just playing to have fun. Like, I'm not necessarily playing to win. So, but if I'm thinking like, man, I, I want to win, what's the win state, right? What what is What is my best option here? Then you get stuck. You know, you get stuck in that loop because you're afraid that if you choose the wrong thing, it's going to affect you or even worse, your team negatively. So two things I heard there. First off, I, I, I want to kind of make this distinction. You said anxiety versus frustration. What do you see as the difference? So uh, frustration would be um, anger uh, resulting more from not having, not seeing or achieving the outcome that is desired versus anxiety, which would be a fear or an aversion to something because of a perceived uh, threat or you know, negative outcome potential negative outcome in the future. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in other words, frustration is what happens after you've made a di bad decision. Anxiety, anxiety is, what is what happens, happens before you make it. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I was thinking as you were talking, Josue, that uh, basically the games where I think I have the most analysis paralysis are games that, that they have multiple paths to victory. Um and some examples I can think of for myself are Bora Bora, any, any Steffenfeld game, because Steffenfeld makes these games where your path to victory, there is so many different options in front of you that you can take. And, you know, I've talked about Trajan before, um, but many of Steffenfeld's games do this, and, and probably part of it, it leans to the fact that I, I'm colorblind and Steffenfeld doesn't seem to care about the colorblind. But <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying this until Steffenfeld hears me. Uh, but... Nevertheless, there's there's always like like in Bora Bora, it's not there's no colorblind issue there. There's just there's like seven different arenas to make a play in, and in those seven different arenas, you can organize those seven different moves in whatever way you want to, and each way that you do it may change the possible outcomes in the future. And so there's all this kind of like 
crunching going on in my mind. It's the only way I can kind of think of it because it, it feels like there's something going on that I don't feel on a regular basis. Like I, I don't feel it at a stoplight and I don't feel it, you know, I might feel it when I try to find a, a jar of jelly, but I don't feel it when I'm, you know, just making basic daily decisions. Really, there's not too many things that you overanalyze, but in a board game, you overanalyze a lot. Well, only I mean, if you want to win. Yeah. I so that was the other thing I was noticing, because you were saying, you know, maybe it has to do with wanting to have fun versus wanting to win the game. Like, it, it's more about the outcome you're trying to achieve. Well, I think, like, specifically in Brian's case, like, I've, I've heard him say he doesn't really care. He's not playing to win, necessarily, right? So uh, I'm usually playing to win. That's the fun part for me, right? It's not like just playing to play is not fun for me. Um, so for me, the fun part comes from actually uh, having success in the game. So I think I think it's more like what I'm getting at is you know you caring about the outcome, about the 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 winning of the game. So if you care, uh, yeah, I mean each there's a lot of weight on each of those decisions. <laughs> And that, and that speaks to what happened to me because you get to a point where you've, you've cared so much about the outcome and you feel like you've cared too long about it. And so now you're like, okay, I'm at this moment of, okay, screw it. I'm just going to make a play because I don't know what else to do. And like I said, it may diminish your, your play enjoyment unless you can step back and say, you know, this is not about the winning of the game. This is about the experience of the game. So I it's, it's goal versus uh, versus... Like, do you want the destination or do you want the journey, basically? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm thinking, especially, like, you see this uh, kids, right? Kids are playing game, and suddenly they're like, whatever, I don't care. I mean, I, I, I do this as an adult, too. I get like, I don't, I don't care anymore. I just want this game to end, right? Like, I'm, I'm not thinking about my, my moves anymore, or if I know I'm going to lose, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, and, like, it's gone. The analysis paralysis is gone because I just, I just don't care about the outcome anymore. I think the more you care about that outcome, the more weight you have onto it, um, then the harder it is to make those decisions at the beginning. That that's it. I mean, it's. I mean, we know we know from a. I mean, know from, from a psychological standpoint that all feeling is generated by the thought that we create before it. Right. It's it's you know. So if my thought is I've got to win and I can't find the way to win, then I'm definitely in a state of frustration or anxiety or something because. I've, I've set my mind that way. Yeah. So it sounds like we're talking about almost like the kind of self-talk you give yourself during a game. Yeah, or even like uh, I think that's when you don't see a, a possibility of winning, you become hopeless. And when you become hopeless in real life, you know, it's like you, you stop taking care of yourself. You stop, um, you know, waking up early. You don't, you don't, you're arriving late at work. You know, like you don't, you don't care, <laughs> you know, because you're hopeless. Like you don't see that, that, um, the possibility of, uh, success. So the equivalent of board game depression. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. within the world of the board game, you've reached a point at which you're goalless, you care less and you just want things to be over with. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I'll take a step back and say, right. That, that, uh, again, there are different people get, um, enjoyment from games for different reasons some people love the challenge and so they may have the best game of their life and and have lost you know and some people 
only enjoy a game if they win like there's there's so many different reasons why you might enjoy a game and there are different types of games right like we're being very general so so i don't think it's like you know it applies exactly but i mean you know i could i can make the case for that well i think it happens in more complex games it seems like the more complex a game is the more likely you are to get to a point where you can hit that like i've got too many choices in front of me and you go through um uh, this idea of paradox of choice. Um, this is a, a term coined by psychologist Barry Schwartz in which basically your choices have increased, but as a result of your choices increasing, you're also increasing anxiety, indecision, paralysis, and dissatisfaction. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of crazy because I, I, I started thinking about this, and, and like I said, there was a... Like if you could give a sound to the way my mind is working at the time. It's kind of this slow grinding sound. But <laughs> I don't know if that, that, that may just be a personal experience. That may not be something that other gamers experience. Sounds like but, you should get uh, that checked out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to see a therapist about it. Doctor, I've got this terrible grinding sound when I play Bora Bora. Well, the solution is stop playing Bora Bora. That sounds like you need to see a mechanic. You need well, to like, I, lube up those gears or something. Some Omega-3. Well, Woody and I have a mutual friend who used... I, I remember he used to play a lot of um, Meteor-style board games, Euro games, and he has very high anxiety levels. And so he, start, he, he started suffering from AP, but then he started getting self-conscious because he felt like people were waiting for their turns and he was going to lose all of his friends if he kept you know, doing that. And also the, the games had so many different options and so many things to think about that it just created more anxiety for him. So now he tends to play more party games and card games, simpler games, ones that don't have as much stress in them. So, yeah. Um, one thing one thing that Woody said that uh, reminded me of that that one time we played Terra Mystica. I keep going back to that. Um, <laughs> Ding, it's going to be the, uh, ne the next Monopoly is Terra Mystica. Oh, because I'm... <laughs> oh, so I believe I had three different currencies um, that I was developing. And then at some point, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember the exact numbers, but then like an hour into the game, or maybe two hours into the game, it was a long time into the game, you told me that there was an entirely different either currency or way for me to win that I had, I did not know about. And that was, so uh, maybe it gave me a little more, uh, like, it gave me more choices now, right? Sure. But I was just so angry because I had been playing without that additional information up to that point. And I felt like I had missed out on so many, like, all of the decisions I had made up to that point were, were again, there was not enough information. So I was, I was playing, like, you know, like, blindfolded or one hand behind my back kind of thing. And I was so mad because you had forgotten to tell me that when we went over the rules. And, and then it kind of, like, changed the whole game moving forward for me because I was really into it. I was, I was really yeah. enjoying the game. I was, I thought I knew these systems and then you added another variable to the mix and it just completely messed me up. <laughs> I don't think I recovered from, from Apparently that frustration not. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're still talking about it. I, let me just take this moment to once and for all publicly apologize for my terrible game teaching strategies. <laughs> And that was a long time ago. When was that? Uh, it's it's been about maybe 
four years ago now. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, and now we're up to a point where there's a new replacement for Terra Mystica uh, that's called Gaia Project, Ooh. which uh, I, I'd be happy to teach you sometime after I know how to play it well enough. No, thank you. I'll pass. <laughs> I'll learn on my own, and then we can play. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. So one thing about uh, analysis paralysis is that, you know, if we think of it in terms of like the way the brain works and, and sort of the cognitive side of things, because we've been kind of talking about more almost like um, experiential things, but the cognitive side of things is that when you are working with a number of choices in front of you, you're dealing with short-term memory for the most part. And short-term memory, although it may seem like it's an unlimited resource, is very limited. And as you get more and more choice put in front of you, the brain actually naturally slows down because it's not able to process all that's in front of it anymore. So, it, you know, it basically, it's like the system is bogging down. I mean, from a, from a more mechanical standpoint, you know, we're talking about the grinding. From a more mechanical standpoint, the, the, it's slowing down of everything because you can no longer process everything in front of you. And as a result of that, you're you're just you're you've spent your energy. I mean, I don't know if anybody's made a game about storing short term memory, but I can imagine that you would just have a limited amount of resources for this spot and then once it's done you have to choose what you're gonna put back in that spot. Well, like my niece is really into clue right now. You know. She's and like you're keeping track of a lot of information and you have a notepad, right, where you're like writing everything down because of that. Like it's it's a it's a way harder game. <laughs> if you're not allowed to write things down and kind of like scratch things off a list, it's a process of elimination, but it's a lot of information that you have. It's a, it's a lot like playing a, a computer game. Your short-term memory is the RAM. Your long-term memory is the hard drive. And as computer games get more complex, the memory in your, the short-term memory in your computer just can't handle the oomph of it. And you either have to upgrade the memory or downgrade your games. I was uh, was streaming Mega Man X the other day on Twitch, and uh, there's a there's a point where like there's so many enemies on the screen that the game just really slows down, and you can't even see my character. Like the the, the Mega Man disappears from the screen for certain um, for, for for a few seconds because like the game can't even load all the images properly. <laughs> it's it's just too much. So, so it's it's the same thing happens to our brain. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, I, I was thinking about this as I was making, as I was, you know, I've been working towards getting more podcasts out and trying to go back. But some of the things that kept me from putting the podcast out in the first place was a little bit of analysis paralysis because I'm kind of in that space where I want the best possible outcome. And I'm not sure that I can get it if I don't do this, that, and the other. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a situation... Uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, this old Aesop fable and, and the, the root moral of the story is better one safe way than a hundred on which you cannot reckon. Yeah. So they're, they're basically saying that limited choice is better and I think game designers probably go through this where they have to, they have to come to this space where like I'm either going to give these players a large amount of choice like the open world like you talked about with, with, uh, with the new Zelda, uh, Zelda game or um, 
or I'm going to limit your choices, in which case I'm probably going to get put into a category of a, like a more casual game player kind of thing. Like if you look at things like the Spiel des Jahres, like Azul, which just won the Spiel des Jahres, is, is a very simple game. There's some complexity to it in the way you think about it, but you're just making one or two choices per turn. And so as a game designer, I think you probably have to think very closely about what you're going to do to the players. If you're going to get players involved in a really deep and crunchy game, you're going to have to make it worth their while to get this many choices in front of them in the first place. You know, there's one realization that I've come to in games that I'm, I'm realizing now as a part of this conversation that I really need to apply to my personal life. And I've gotten much better at simply saying, you know what, I'm just going to pick one. I'm just going to do it and write it out and see what happens. And it's made my gameplay uh, way more fun because I don't, I don't think about it anymore as much. Some games have so many possibilities and the game is designed that way to give you different experiences upon replay or, you know, just having a game that lasts, I don't know, like, you know, a hundred hours. And for example, I just played um, uh, God of War on PS4 and you're, you're in like Nordic uh, Norse mythology and there are all these different realms that you can go to. There's a nine realms. And as you go through the game, you keep opening up these different realms that you can go to. And there's a character in the game that's like, hey, do you want to continue the main story or do you want to go explore? And I was like, you know what? I don't have the time to explore anymore. <laughs> Right? That's not that's not where I am in my life in my life right now. So I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna stay on the path. So I I beat the game, and there were I think two realms that I never even stepped foot in, even though I unlocked them. That was just part of it, you know. And I've come to accept in in games that I'm never going to see the entire thing. I'm never going to experience every possible outcome. And I know that that's something that people like are really afraid about. That like, well, what if I make a choice and then I can't go back and see that other thing? Well, it's like, but you know, like that's. If you come to accept that, you can move forward way, way faster because it really doesn't matter if you get to see it or not. And sometimes to, to get to see that other thing, you need to you need to start over, you know, or you need to come back to that point. And the truth is that if you're moving forward, there's no like you're you're never gonna be at that point again. And if you can just accept that, you know, that there will be other points moving forward, then maybe you'll you'll move forward. And I think whether it's because you don't want other people to get mad at you or annoy them because you're you're making you know too many choices or just like you're super curious about what's next instead of what's behind you, there's all these different reasons why um, kind of that, that I think can help us overcome that analysis paralysis and and it's really like our what do we believe is happening in this moment or what do we believe those outcomes will will be and I don't know I've I've come to accept that I can't see every possibility and that the more I, like, there's no advantage to thinking things over too much, especially in a game, you know? And I think in real life, there's way more weight to a lot of decisions, or at least there's a perceived weight. And I think, again, it's the same thing with games. Like, we we feel in that moment that it's super important. But then when we look back, we're like, oh, yeah, like, no, um, it was okay, because uh, we can just restart and play again. Like, it was just those three hours of my life, and it was okay, and, like, it didn't, it wasn't life altering, <laughs> you know, that one decision that I made uh, and, and you can move forward. And I think I think that as I've been practicing that more and more in games, which I didn't before. Um, and again, it can be even 
be something as simple as like just using a guide, right? It's like, I don't know where to go. Tell me what's the best way to go and I'll, I'll go forward. Like, again, I was playing Mega Man. There is a specific order that you can play the game in that makes it easier. <laughs> and you don't have to. You can play in whatever order you want. But I'm like, no, just just tell me which way to go. And uh, it'll I'll probably have more fun because I just want to, I just kind of want to get through it. And in in games like this, I mean, for the most part, we kind of just... Don't we just kind of want to get through it? Isn't that kind of like we want to get to the next part? We want to get to the next um, thing? We want to get to the next turn? Right? I don't know. I. What do you think, Brian, I, before I put my two cents in here? Um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts about the next part. But I don't, <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, so, uh, yeah I, I've, I've really got nothing on... Um, on AP, on except for my own person, except my own personal experience with other people's AP. Um, okay. The game Skyrim, the video game Skyrim, is is another open world game. Yeah, I was thinking of Skyrim and when he was talking about. The, there's only one time whenever AP just actually got a grip on me, and I gave up on the game immediately for a while. Okay. Whenever my son introduced me to Minecraft, there is so much to do there, and mm-hmm. zero direction in how to do it. Oh, it's complete sandbox. Right. And I got in the game, and I'm like, walk around, hit a tree, get some wood. Are you kidding me? What am I supposed <laughs> to do with this? Where's somebody with an exclamation point over their head to tell me what to do? Where's the adult in this game? Right. So I just left out of it. And then I watched him play for a while. I'm like, oh, that's what you're doing. You're just building whatever floats into your fevered imagination. That I can do. There's also a dragon like down in hell that you can go yeah. fight. Which that's really the like the in the, the nether. Goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the goals, goals. you can set for yourself, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. But I guess the the thing about Minecraft is you can set your own goal, and sometimes that is what is uh, paralyzing is is being able to set your own path and and taking responsibility for the fact that that path is what you said was going to get you to the next spot. Yeah, but like board games yeah. aren't sandboxes, right? Like no. a canvas and paint is a sandbox, right? Where you can just sure. do whatever you want. The games have like a beginning and an end. Yeah. And we're kind of all moving toward it. Like even the, just the idea of a turn, right? It's like, all right, now there's there's some progress there. Although, like you were saying, um, betrayal at House on the Hill and betrayal at Baldur's Gate, you're building the board as you go, and you had that you had that sandbox feel of which way is the right way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So you were kind of stuck in that situation of, do I go outside? Do I go inside? Do I build the board out this way? What do I do? I mean, I think it's fair to say that most tabletop board games, if, you know, it's, it's like a Euro or even an Amer- Ameritrash, Ameritrash, whatever you want to call it, uh, there, there's a much more limited scope of decisions in those games than there is in an open world game like Minecraft, Skyrim, or, or Zelda. Um, but, you know, Josue, you were saying, don't you just want to get to the next spot? For, for me, you know, we're, we're kind of, all I can do is personally analyze this. For me, when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to come up with the best solution to what I'm going to do next, it's not so much that I'm trying to get to the next spot. I'm trying to see, there's almost like a bar that I've set for myself of, that's, you know, I can reach this bar if I can just figure out how to optimally play. If I can, you know, if I can move this piece here so I, if I move that piece there wait a minute what's going to happen there and if that happens then that's he's going to get that and then I'm not going to get that anymore 
those kinds of decisions get get you stuck, I think, because you're you're you've raised the bar for yourself and you're like, I'm gonna meet this bar. And and that's almost the crunching feeling is like all these decisions coming at you at one time. Well, I know what you're saying with a bar, but really I think there's always a goal, right? All of those bars and things are particular goals that you're setting. And my, my point really is that the analysis paralysis doesn't help you get any closer to that goal. Um, choosing the right outcome gets you closer to that goal, but the actual just rumination on it and the time spent there doesn't actually get you there at all. It doesn't, it, it's not helpful. Some of what you're saying, Josue, is that if you change the way you direct yourself towards it, like if you just like I hear what you're saying when you said, you know, I just started making decisions and, and not really thinking about it too much. And that can be a, like if you can take that kind of happy go lucky. I'm not minimizing it. If you can take that kind of almost nonchalant way of looking at it, like I'm just doing this for the fun, let's see what happens when I go off in this direction, then that can be a cure for analysis paralysis. That can be the way you break it down. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that I don't. Like this is very. This is much easier if we just talk about a specific game, right? But if we're talking in general sure. terms, um, uh, kind of, I do think it over. But sometimes, like analysis paralysis, is like you make a decision, then you second guess yourself, and then you go back and you try to make another decision. Then you're like, there's a lot of that that goes around, right? You you keep going back and forth, and you start comparing, and sometimes. It's like, I, again, the idea of moving forward has become more appealing to me than the idea of standing still. And I can put some thought into it, but not like, because I've been in that moment where I'm like, no, 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 I cannot commit to a particular decision until I am 100% certain that it is the optimum and best decision that I can possibly make to achieve or to reach the goal that I have set out for myself, whatever that may be. And that is very different than, you know, this sounds pretty good. I think this is going to help me. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to think about it anymore. Let's just move forward. Let's just see what happens. Right. And, and, and that is also different than whatever. I'm just going to go left every time. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just going to go odd numbers. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there is a which, difference. Which is where my problem comes in. Since <laughs> I, I don't suffer from analysis paralysis. I suffer from anticipation of play, mm. which is its polar opposite. I just can't wait. I mean, I can't wait for people to get through their turn so I can get to my turn. It's a very selfish thing, but it is what it sure. is. Sure. Um, I'll give you a for instance. Um, I can't remember. Was Concordia the game that I won the other day? I remember. Yes, it was. Yes. It's very rare that I win a game. <laughs> but everyone seemed to be taking extra, 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 extra long turns because I knew what I wanted to do. And it was, it was killing me waiting for my turn to get back around because I knew what I wanted. And it's only made that much worse when other people can take the things that you want before it gets back to you. Now, That's it right there. Yeah. That thing where you're like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Can it just get back around to me and nobody mess with my, my choices? Because if you mess with my choices, then I'm going to have to rethink, and I can't rethink right now. I've got this clear plan that I'm going to get to the end. Yeah, I was experiencing that a lot in Concordia the other night. Where I'd be like, okay, just hurry up and take your turn because it's my turn now. And Susie and I kept taking all the things that you wanted. Yeah, there might have been some cussing at the table. <laughs> I can't think of anything that's more fun than taking what uh, Woody wanted yeah. and just and just infuriating him. 
I became an honorary member of the Dammit Sisters. <laughs> Damn it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but that anticipation of play, that is this kind of the polar opposite side of, of analysis paralysis because it is – I've been trying to characterize what this experience was like. I, I experienced it at Dice Tower quite a lot. I played Lorenzo de Magnifico, and I played it with some people that were maybe a little bit um, – thinky like they, they we all spent some time thinking about it but it felt like every time we made a decision was sometimes turns took just way too long um but i i felt this kind of like just hurry up hurry up get to my turn i have a clear idea of what to do next and it's almost like it's a drive it's you know if i could speak of it in terms of feelings i was sitting on the edge of my seat i was tapping my foot really hard i was paying so much close attention there was I didn't have any caffeine but it was as if I was turned up to you know that 11th notch like I had had a shot of five hour energy or something and the inability to make that move as quickly as I wanted to was the most frustrating thing because I'm just sitting there like just make your move and it it really wasn't about anybody because everybody's probably taking about the same amount of time but in my experience everything's just like moving far too slow for me yeah especially whenever you almost have a state of flow going on everything's clicking on all cylinders and your brain is actually understanding the game for once and you have a clear i for once you have a clear idea of exactly how to win this game and everybody yeah the aha moment has come yeah and at that point you're like could everyone just leave the table and i'll play the game solo for the rest of the game okay i got this (laughs) i'll take your turns too let's just do this I, I, I see it. I feel it because, yeah, it's uh, – I'm even – I'm touching the temples of my head right now as I'm, as I'm thinking about it just because it's, it's like I remember that feeling so well. And it's happened to me in crunchy games since that time. And I think I've always experienced it, but this is the only time I've been able to say – to slow down enough and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm in this state of mind right now that is like this deep anticipation of the next moment where I just cannot be here now. I have to be in the next moment. And I don't know if it, there's kind of an almost like pleasurable quality to it in the sense that like, I feel like I'm able to do something. You know, like you said, that aha moment has come on us and we're suddenly like, I grok it, I get it, I know what to do next. And then, so it's like a combination of, I'm really proud of myself for getting this and understanding it. And the other side of it, Nobody's letting me do it. <laughs> it's like whenever you're driving down the road on a two-lane road and you finally see the freaking sign that says it's increasing from 45 to 55 miles an hour. <laughs> but the and person in front of you la- won't change? And both lanes in front of you, there are two people driving side by side at 45 still. And you're like, would someone please get out of my way? I, I can't drive 55. <laughs> <laughs> you have that Sammy Hagar moment. Yeah. That's, that's what we should call it from now on. I'll, I'll be sitting in a game from now on, and I'll look at you, and I'll say, I'm having a Sammy Hagar moment. <laughs> that's right. I live to serve. So these two things, they're, they're basically, you know, I was kind of identifying these almost like categories of experience in our gameplay, and analysis paralysis and anticipation of turn or anticipation of, of move or whatever it is, um, they both kind of, they're part of that catalog. They're, 
they're both really powerful things that have happened to me recently as I sort of take apart my experience of gaming. So I, I'm, I'm interested in, in learning as much as I can about it and whether or not, you know, there's there are cognitive antecedents to this, if there are reasons that this is happening on a regular basis, and uh, just to kind of make sense of things. Um, I, I found a lot of good articles about it, and I, I feel like I wanted to summarize those articles, but I, I think instead the better thing is to do is to, you know, talk about them every once in a while as they come up and, and try to incorporate them in my understanding of gameplay. So, any anything else on on this topic, Brian or Josue? Yeah, I think we. I think I pretty much covered my end of it. Okay. All right. Well, it's uh. There, there's almost a side of this that I wanted to talk about where it's like, how do you avoid both states of of gameplay? And so Josue talked some about how to avoid those states in analysis paralysis. One of those being change what you're thinking about and you'll change the way you approach the game. You, you can kind of uh, do some, you can create your own personal shortcuts and, and like it's almost like when you get to a certain level of over analysis, you say, okay, instead I'm gonna take a back, step back and I'm gonna take an imperfect turn as opposed to a perfect turn, see what happens and then at least I'll have the experience for the future. So like, next time I play, I can say, well, I did that last time. What would it be like to do something different this time? So I'm almost like limiting myself to suboptimal plays just so I can have an optimal sense of what's going on. You know? What, there, there's, uh, there's probably other, other solutions, and I know you said, Brian, that you don't really have a sense of analysis paralysis, but you said you do have it in, in other life arenas besides board gaming. Right. What have you done to avoid that analysis paralysis in, in life? Well, um, for the most part, I've uh, tried to do what most people with analysis paralysis try to do, which is educate myself to the point where I can make a snap decision, I can make a quicker decision. Um, whenever I was in IT ages ago, back whenever you know computers didn't have mice and you had to type all the commands out, not, not, not that far back really. Um, it took me a while to figure out the problem on a computer and it took me too long and your know, manager would say you know it's taking you twice as long as it's taking other people I'm like well I'm trying to be thorough they said don't be thorough get it fixed <laughs> and that's kind of my philosophy is don't make it perfect get it fixed as well yeah. as you can I mean do as well as you can but don't try to fix everything on the computer. The guy wanted his mouse replaced. He did not want a full antivirus scan and defrag done on his computer. I know you think the computer's slow, but eventually he'll put in a ticket for that too. <laughs> so Winston Churchill said, the maxim, nothing avails but perfection, may be spelled shorter paralysis. Yeah. So the, the thing is to, to like... You're taking a step back from it, basically, and saying, you know, I'm not going to look for perfection. I'm just going to look for the best way out of this situation in this moment. Right. I mean, also, being better at a game just helps you with that, also. Like, if mm -hmm. you know the rules, you've had practice, you have strategies, 
that helps. Yeah, and that's that's kind of having those. It's almost like coping skills in a game. I, I guess that's kind of where we're getting to yeah. because as we start talking about anticipation of turn, that's where you need mindfulness the most. You yeah. know, the sense of like being able to slow yourself down, take a deep breath, almost be in the moment as opposed to being in the next moment. Because that's, that's what anticipation of play is. You're in the next moment and you're not able to be here now. Um, also, I've used the word acceptance a lot. Like if you could just yeah. accept the fact that you know, by the time it comes back around to you, you probably won't be able to do the things that you wanted to do. You'll be a lot less frustrated. Yeah. Because because if you're looking, you're like, oh man, oh man, I hope I hope Brian doesn't take that piece. I hope Brian doesn't take that piece. And and of course he did. So you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about optimistic pessimism. I have high high hopes that things are going to go well. However, I completely expect them to go wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yeah. Or just like, that may be some of the problem, though. In in the uh, more to the point, hope for the best, expect the worst. <laughs> yeah. Also, like okay. if if you're if you're really into the game, right? And maybe there's you see like four different possibilities. Yeah, there's one that's the best possible uh, outcome. But then, like as as things start getting eliminated as they get close to you, like I think you should be doing that. Like you're probably doing that anyway, right? It's just not right. getting hung up on, like, my top three choices were taken from me. So, well, I have no other choice than to go to, with number four, and like that's a way healthier, a way healthier attitude. Like you'll be less angry than if you're thinking like, oh, I hate Brian, oh, I hate Susie, oh, I hate Woody, oh, I hate them all. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imagining the moment when which Doctor Strange has to examine whatever number million possible outcomes at one time, he should have analysis paralysis more than the rest of us. You know, it's, it's funny. I, um, I, I love the, 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 the character of Dr. Strange. And there's one part in his movie, like, like that part in the, in infinity war is one of my favorite parts, but it's part in his yeah. movie where he asks, um, the, the ancient one, he's like, how do I get from here? Like where I am now to where you are, to your level. And she's like, well, how did you become like a, uh, a world famous surgeon? He's like, study and practice. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So she's giving him that Zen moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Like if you if you practice um, not hating everybody else at the table <laughs> for just playing the game like they're supposed to. <laughs> everybody's looking out for themselves. Right. You start thinking and you just start narrowing things down. I mean, right. This is, this is like stuff that we talk about in psychotherapy and things that we would, you know, tell one of our students who's like really angry all the time with another student. It's like, well, you know, like, well, you don't, you just don't have that choice anymore. Why are you even angry about the fact that Brian like took that move when like, it's, it's not even available to you anymore. It's, it's kind of like what I was saying before about just like you're moving on, like thinking, like thinking about that thing that happened is not helping you at all. You can't take it back. Even even if you like took Brian off the board, right, like literally just like kicked him <laughs> off the table. Like it, that doesn't undo his move necessarily. It depends on the game, I guess. But for the most part, like there, it just it just doesn't benefit you at all to get angry about that stuff and then just like yeah it's, it's, it's part of the game you know you have four options and then three turns later you have you know only the worst of those four options well yeah okay, well 
how can I make that one better? I get the feeling you have a very dark vision of games between Brian and I. <laughs> I, 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 I only know what you guys tell me here on the show. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's some well, uh, player yeah, there hate going that. on in the game world, but it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't impact real world. I hope not. Again, as I, as I said before, the things I've said to my wife in board games would cause a divorce among normal people. I believe it. And the things she said to me, let's not let's not say I'm I'm an ogre, although I look like one, kinda. I'm broad shouldered, I'm tall. I'm like an so, onion. Uh, <laughs> you just keep peeling the layers? Yep. So um we're not going to talk about this, but I just want to add real quick. I heard about another state of someone's way of being, and it, it's almost like the antithesis of everything we're talking about. And this is, um, I don't remember where I heard it about. It was in a podcast or something. But he said that his wife plays in a way such that she she cheats to help other players win in a unique way to create an experience for them. And I thought, wow, that is a very different way of looking at games than I've ever looked at games. That's just crazy. Um, that it, it may not be the same thing, but it reminds me of something I also heard on a podcast. And uh, the person said, whenever they're given the choice between, whenever they're given choices in games, they choose the game that will create the more the 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 most narrative possibilities. So, uh, like in a in a game that's like. Um, like a, a an electronic, you know, like a video game RPG. If you can choose between defense and offense, he chooses offense always because that creates more narrative possibilities. Because now you have different ways of moving forward and different ways of like th there are different stories that you can tell about how you defeated something or how you overcame an obstacle versus how long you were able to stand there taking hits, you know, <laughs> with the same, you know crappy sword for example so you're living towards the story that you can tell in the future kind of yeah yeah but like like that like what you said um about you know like well maybe that person gets a lot of enjoyment from just messing around in the game and creating different situations for people you know right yeah that that is and i thought well wow that's that's a you know we talked about changing the way you think and that is a very different way to change the way you think um so I, I think we'll come back to the states of play quite a lot because I, I feel like I'm just kind of cataloging the almost archetypes within gameplay that happen. And I'm only doing it from my own personal perspective, so I, I invite anyone and everyone to to talk about their various uh, states of play that they experience. And I, I think we'll come back to this again and again over the next, you know, the next bunch of episodes. You know, it, it's a little bit of cataloging, kind of like what you've done with uh, Geek Therapy at times, where you're cataloging the way that movies and other media can impact us. Yeah, yeah. And I got to say, this conversation has helped sort out some things in, in my mind, because I am at a stage in my life right now where probably these two states of play are playing out. One, yeah. one is like, I'm waiting for my turn to do something, right? Mm -hmm. And... And that's probably not really true. Or the way I'm playing the game of life is not <laughs> is not the best way uh, to do it. I can I can probably take some of the advice that I that I mentioned earlier 
And the analysis paralysis <laughs> thing is also affecting me, you know? Like I see so many options in front of me and I'm kind of stuck. And I've, I've been seeing this, this theme over and over again about just pick something and move forward. And I, I feel like I was so clear about how I talked about it in terms of games. And as I heard myself saying it out loud, I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally apply this to my life. I, I should probably do that right now. <laughs> yeah. So this conversation has been uh, transformative. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll come back to it again. Um, we have a new section we want to do today, and it's called uh, History of Ancient Geeks. Um, so we're going to make a transition to that and uh, let Brian talk to us about the history of ancient geeks. True story, though, first, before you get started, I was once sure. in a class in a, for my master's program, uh, mental health, and I told them that uh, I, I wanted to specialize um, working with geeks and... Uh, someone commented, I love Greece. I love the Greeks. <laughs> she thought I had misspelled geeks and went into this whole thing about how much she loves Greek culture. Just thought it, would, it, it made sense to mention that now. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a little time trip back to the 6th century BCE. Iron axes allowed the clearing of forests. The introduction of plowshares meant that agriculture increased significantly, especially around the uh, Mediterranean um, and North, Northern Africa and Middle East and China, which means that people started settling in larger cities, which meant that since they weren't out hunting all the time, they had time to have entertainment. During this time, um, there, was, there was a burial mound that was created in southeast Turkey. In recent excavations, archaeologists found 49 small carved painted stones in, a 5, 000, in that 5,000-year-old burial mound. The earliest okay. gaming pieces were dice. Okay. They were... Um, found mostly around Turkey, Syria, Iraq, meaning that they, the, the first board games were created around the Tigris, not Euphrates, and Nile rivers. So... So now when we have a game of right. Tigris and Euphrates... <laughs> of course. We know where it comes from. Um, the, origin, the, the earliest dice created were not the cube shapes that we know of, but they were sticks. One side would be painted, the other side unpainted, and you toss the sticks down. And the sticks with the colored side facing up were the number that you rolled. So you could have a nine-sided die by painting nine, six, nine sticks and tossing them down, and, oh, I got a six. There is an argument to be made that these were used for prognostication, but there's also... Um, you mean like prophecy? Prophecy and such okay. like that. Eaching. Yep. But there was also uh, there's all, there also are also good arguments to be made that it was for entertainment as well. Um, Mesopotamians had dice. They were made from knuckle bones, wood, painted stones, turtle shells. Um, fast forward to the Roman era, we're looking at brass, copper, glass, ivory, and marble marble dice. And the Roman dice look almost exactly like the six siders we have now. They would have pips across the, the dice. The three is diagonal. The the five is 
four along the outside corners, one in the middle. Um, and so they look very much like they were trying to roll up D&D characters. Which is not outside the realm of possibility, but pretty much outside the realm of possibility anyway. <laughs> Role-playing might not have been started yet, I don't know. Yeah, I would think not. There were probably more gambling games than anything else. I was going to say, probably games of chance kind of started out. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I remember doing a little bit of historical research uh, before we did one of our first presentations. And one of the things that they had identified was that um, there was some place, and it may, have been, it may have been in the corner of the world that you're talking about, in which um, the, the people were pretty much starving. They had very little food, and uh, maybe they were in a famine at the time. Um, and games were created to keep the breaks between food more enjoyable and entertaining before they got to the point of having food again. So they would sometimes use one day to play games, and then one day they would eat, and then, you know, kind of doing that kind of thing in order to keep themselves occupied and focused on, you know, basically trying to stay alive without losing their mind. Right. And as much as we like to complain about Dice Today being bringing too much of a random element to it, it's left too much up to fate, they didn't think of it in those terms. People back in this, people back in the, uh, ain't people back in the ancient eras, they believed that there was no such thing as luck. There was all, it was all fate. It was all the gods smiling on you if you won. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing this dice game, it was not random possibility of the dice coming up. It's the gods tipping things in your favor that allowed you to win. And so playing these games, if you won, showed that you had the favor of the gods. Right, so the dice became a like a vehicle for the gods' choices. Right. That's fascinating. I, I started wondering, you know, whether or not the gambling addiction somehow connects to that particular state of thinking. You know, this this idea that I'm on a I'm on a lucky streak, which means basically the universe is helping me out in some way. It, it's not much different than saying the gods are favoring me. You know. Well, I mean in. In uh, biblical history, um, whenever the whenever after Judas committed suicide, they had to come up with a new a new twelfth apostle, right? So the the Bible says that they cast lots, which is basically they played a gambling game to see who was going to get it. I love that. Yeah, you don't often think about it, but I love the idea that it's just a gamble. They played a push your luck game, and whoever won got to be the next apostle. Excellent. Excellent. So that's definitely a story of ancient geekdom in which uh, our our forefathers, you know, kind of the idea that where I came with this idea was the idea that, you know, we are now seeing this kind of almost rise in geek culture. Like we can have podcasts about gaming. We can have podcasts about geek therapy. And it, it seems perfectly legitimate right now. It seems like it fits into the the world as it is. And I was wondering... And I, I'm pretty sure I have an answer. I was wondering if there's kind of an almost an archetype that is has always been there, but we're only just now seeing it for what it is today, whereas back in the past it would have been something completely different, and it wouldn't have been seen the same way because media wasn't, you know, at some point media didn't exist like it does now, so geeks in that world would not have media to connect to, but there's some maybe internalized 
part of our personality, whether it's, I don't know if it's genetic or if it's, it's socialized, but it's some part of our personality that, that sticks out that has grabbed onto the media, but it was there back in Mesopotamia and, and the Tigris and Euphrates in that area. So yeah. that, that's where the whole idea came from, and I'm looking forward to continuing our talks about uh, the history of geeks. Sounds good to me. So one last thing before we before we close it out today, um, we'll we'll do some final thoughts after this. But I just want to uh, once again make the request to listeners to send us email to uh, contact us on Twitter. Our email address is gamers at rolling for change, and our Twitter account is at our at roll for change. Uh, we just want to hear from you. We want to hear about your experience in gaming. If you experience different states of play than we've talked about, if you experience uh, analysis paralysis or anticipation of turn, and you have something you want to say, just send us a message and let us know. We'd love to hear about it. We'd also love to have you on the podcast. All you have to do is just uh, send us a message, and we'll we'll work it out to uh, talk to you on the podcast as well. So. Um, also, there's a brand new way for people to get in touch. Yes, which is the, that's what I was going to talk about. Which is the Go GT ahead. Forum, which yes. is at forum.geektherapy.com. Every episode of Rolling for Change has a topic on the forum, which um, and, and every every past episode or every future episode will be there, so you can uh, comment there as well. And everything on the Geek Therapy Network, every podcast, including... Like we have four new podcasts and blogs, which uh, just joined very recently. All of those are um, represented on there. So you can come for Rolling for Change and stay for all the other shows or just talk about anything uh, board game, gaming, geek culture related. It's a forum for, for, for our community. Excellent. And we also have merchandise Woo-hoo. there. In fact, just the other day, I was wearing my Rolling for Change shirt. No way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he was. Fantastic. Does yep. It, does it look good? It does. Ooh, okay. Good, it does. good, good. And we get paid once a month at the school, so I'm going to have to wait to buy mine. Gotcha, gotcha. There you go. Yeah. Oh, it, they're nice t-shirts. Oh, actually. Yeah, it was, it was very well done. The thing I said about the uh, like study and practice from Dr. Strange, I made a t-shirt out of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I made one uh, that I that I really like, which is probably my favorite. I've been playing a lot of uh, a game called Monster Hunter um, uh-huh. on PlayStation, and it's one of those games where I've played over a hundred hours, and I feel like I've learned a brand new language and an entire new system and an entire world, and a, like I, I've memorized a new encyclopedia. And it's really a game that really represents uh, like mastery, right? That enjoyment of mastery. You only enjoy a game like that if you love like every hour you get a little bit better. You just learn a little bit more about the world and it kind of makes it click more. So I made a shirt which is like basically the Monster Hunter logo, but I called it Mastery Hunter. Uh, nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, it was based on an episode of uh, Headshots that I did uh, on that topic. Which is like right. that's that's what I love about games, really, is that like achieving mastery. That that part of it is is what's fun to me. And that's not much different about what than what we were talking about with analysis paralysis and anticipation of turn, because it's all about for at least for a certain state of mind, it's all about mastery of the game. Sort of, I think maybe I don't know. I could probably <laughs> I, I could push back a little, but it's been over an hour, so I won't. Fair enough. <laughs> So, final thoughts, folks. What do you think? 
I don't know. I'm suffering from analysis paralysis. <laughs> um, final thoughts. Uh, Brian tried to use AP to um, like as an acronym for analysis paralysis, and then we went into um, what was the second one? Anticipation of turn. Anticipation, of, but I think you call it anticipation of play, which yeah. is also AP. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is so then AP doesn't work. It's a good point. Sort of point AP, that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A O P. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, Brian, if you want. <laughs> no, again, I mean, I, I think my final thoughts were what I said before about how, as as usual, if you if you take a moment and, and reflect on your gaming experiences, there's probably something that you can gain from it that will uh, help in other areas. And this is definitely one of those episodes for me. We should do this more often. That's my final I, thought. I totally agree. <laughs> well, I've got a lot of good ideas for uh, episodes coming up, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about these states of play. But for me, talking about the, the, an, uh, the anticipation of play and analysis paralysis has led me to be a little more aware that it is about a state of, of thought. It is a, about self-talk. And if we can catch that moment where we're talking to ourselves and what we're talking about and how that's impacting our relationship with the game and the players in the game, then we have a higher chance of reducing those things that make it a negative experience to experience analysis paralysis or to experience anticipation of play. Um, so you can almost adopt a sort of like, okay, I'll go this far and then I'll stop and just make a decision. Yeah, and for me, um, <clears throat> since my problem is anticipation of play or anticipation of turn, um, what I've had to realize is, what I've had to try to strive for anyway is the idea that if someone's honestly taking too long on their turn, it's not a fault of mine. I, I, can, I can have anticipation of turn if someone's like taking 20 minutes to take their turn. But if everyone's taking a reasonable amount of time, it's a little selfish. Maybe I need to step back and rethink how, how irked I'm getting with everyone. Okay. Yeah, it's that moment of self-reflection where you, you realize that... Uh maybe the impact that it's having is is on you and not other people. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you guys for talking to me today. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I feel like it's been a, a learning opportunity for all of us. Yeah. So let's get together and do it again very soon. I'm free. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Rolling for Change. And this has been episode number 20. Stay tuned for more. I'm, I've got a, a lot of good stuff in the works. So you'll see us again soon. Thanks for listening to Rolling for Change. This has been episode 20, a discussion of analysis paralysis and anticipation of play. Rolling for Change is proud to be a part of the Geek Therapy Network. To find out more, turn your knobs on your sub-ether browser to geektherapy.com. Be sure and stop by the forums, leave us a comment, and then check out all the other great podcasts on the Geek Therapy Network. You can also reach us at our email, 
We are gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our Twitter handle is at rollforchange. Rating and reviewing our shows on iTunes is also very welcome. Our theme music was composed by Rocket Scientists. To find out more, please visit Bandcamp and search for Rocket Scientists. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your feedback. We'll be back again soon, and we encourage you to keep on rolling for change.